Our reading for today is from John 6, verses 16 to 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where he got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then then, Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore when they were heading. All right, hi church. Hi, as I said before, I help out some of the ministries here. My name's Lachlan, Uh, I help out at Youth and Kids Church. And sometimes uh, you'll see me putting on silly costumes and pretending to be silly characters for the kids' spots. Uh, but today I'll be playing one of my uh, least popular kids' church characters myself. Uh, we're going to have a deep dive into this passage uh, on Jesus walking on water with a little bit of emphasis on fear and a lot of emphasis on Jesus Also, it's Mother's Day, so uh, I'd be a fool not to say Happy Mother's Day and thank you to all of the mums out there who are watching. Speaking of parents, when I was small, my folks showed me a horrifying film that left me scarred for quite some time. And that film was, of course, Finding Nemo. I never could quite face old Brucey, uh, something about those rows of jagged teeth and that smile. Uh, there's another photo that I didn't include, uh, which is from a much scarier scene in the film where he smells another fish's blood and goes a bit berserk. Uh, and that, as a result of that, uh, viewing that film, I sort of had an evolved fear into sharks, which meant that any time I'd go to the beach with an open cut on my body, I would be reluctant to get into the water for fear of being mauled. Uh, eventually I grew up and realised that the chances of getting attacked by a shark were in fact quite slim. Now more often than not, after we go through an experience of fear, we find out we didn't actually have that much to be afraid of in the first place. And that is something that disciples in this passage can more than relate to, as we read about their fearful response to something beyond their understanding. And then as they discover Jesus, they realise there wasn't that much to be afraid of, Uh, particularly as they come to know him as the living, saving God in the flesh. Now, this story takes place after a few of the other noteworthy miracles we see Jesus do that we like to use to fill up children's Bibles. Uh, Through the Gospel of John, we've seen Jesus get baptised, we've seen him begin healing people, start to accrue a large following, attracting the attention of the Pharisees. Uh, We actually see Jesus take them on in a debate after he shows his authority to do works on the Sabbath by claiming, by stating that he is the son of God, much to the Pharisees' distaste. Uh, last week we had a look at Jesus doing another one of the miracles that we put in children's, board, uh, children's Bibles, Jesus healing or feeding the 5,000, which ended with him having to slip away from the crowd as they tried to make him their king. And that gets us to where we are today, John chapter 6, 16 to 21, Jesus walking on water. Now, every time we go through these stories uh, or in the gospel as a church, I am particularly fond of being reminded how lost the disciples are without Jesus there to hold their hand, and this story is no exception. 
So after a huge day of watching Jesus teach thousands of people and then feed those thousands of people with a miracle, uh, we see the disciples get onto a boat without Jesus, as the passage reads. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. They got into the boat, set off for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they'd rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. This story does show up in other Gospels, uh, and we actually get a different look at what happens, particularly in Matthew, where we see the subplot about how Peter walked on the water with Jesus and then fell in, which is curiously absent in John, uh, because John, as we learn, has a different agenda. Um, Another detail we get from Matthew are the specifics of the disciples' scared reaction. We actually see, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Ah, it's a ghost, they said. Probably terrifying at the time, but objectively hilarious 2,000 years later, because we know ghosts aren't real, and who'd be scared of something that wasn't real, right? Let's see. One of Hollywood's secrets to making a film seem scary without having to put that much effort in is by making it about the end of the world. There's a great number of films that show stylized depictions of humanity in its final hour, and it's never a positive reflection. We see uh, whether the end of the world comes from war or natural disaster or, my favourite, aliens and zombies. You often get depictions of people running about wildly, looting fighting, general chaos everywhere. And it's as if through these depictions, Hollywood wants to remind us that we're no more than scared animals fleeing from a loud sound. Now, as demeaning as these depictions are, it's nice that we are able to plausibly deny them because of the fact that the world hasn't ended yet. I'm allowed to tell myself that should aliens or war or natural disaster come, I wouldn't react like that. I'd keep my cool. And yet, last year, after facing the literally microscopic threat of COVID, we were faced with a brutal reality check. We saw exactly how the world, how people we might even know, responded to widespread fear. Now, it may not be the blockbuster depiction, but the parallels were there. Instead of looting, we saw panic buying, fighting occurring in the form of words, media fear-mongering. For a brief moment last year, in the face of the world's response to COVID, we saw, shockingly close, to how Hollywood told us we'd behave. Wild, irrational fear. Now, the thing about fear is, in of itself, it's neither good or bad, but what makes it good or bad, or healthy or unhealthy, is how we respond to it. This is the difference between rational and irrational fear. So, again, using COVID... In the face of it, we saw some people exhibit an irrational response to fear. Widespread panic, unhinged behaviour, no logical understanding of how to face the threat. Now, it's not to say that there was no valid reason to be afraid. Our hearts particularly go out to people in India at the moment. But if we think about here in Australia, particularly during March's toilet paper frenzy last year, I think it's safe to label that as irrational. Alternatively, with rational fears, we identify that something is a threat to us, 
and then we act in a way that caters to how we should best face that threat. Uh, a classic example of this is seeing a dangerous snake, not wanting to get bitten, and then walking the other way. In the case of rational fear, you know that something has a power and you respect that power. When I was six, camping at Blokes Go Bush, uh, there was a large bonfire and I had a great time watching the embers rise and then fall. And as I saw one of these glowing orange specks fall, I put my palm out to catch one. And as it landed in my hand, I got burnt. That didn't result in a case of crippling pyrophobia, but it did mean that I realised fire could hurt me if I wasn't careful. And noticeably, we are called to fear God. When it comes to rational fear, a fear of God is the most rational that it gets. Because just like catching a burning ember, there are consequences if we aren't careful with God. And the Bible backs this up again and again. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. To fear the Lord is wisdom. Jesus even warns, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. To fear God is a rational fear, a healthy fear. To fear God is to show obedience and also show awe. A healthy fear of God is to acknowledge his ultimate authority over our soul and trust his judgment. Now, on that boat, in the wind, as those disciples saw Jesus walking on water, they thought it was a ghost they were seeing, and the reason they were scared is because they were facing something that was completely out of their realm of understanding, the unknown. They saw a figure walking on water, and their eyes were not deceiving them, so they had good reason to be afraid. Now, I'm not sure about anyone else, but I've never seen anyone walk on water. I have a hunch, though, that if I did, and I were with the disciples when I saw this happen, I'd be freaking out just like they were, because the weirder response would be not to freak out. But, as we see, the disciples don't stay afraid. As the passage goes on, he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So... Why don't the disciples stay afraid? And why shouldn't we stay afraid? In short, because one, Jesus wasn't a ghost, he's in the flesh. Two, Jesus is the prophet like Moses. And three, Jesus is God with us. So, number one, Jesus is in the flesh. Disciples stop being afraid as they realise it's Jesus because they know him, he is the person that they've spent time with. They'd come to know and trust him, and so even though he was doing weird stuff like walking on water, because they knew him in the flesh, they were willing to let him into the boat. This is the Jesus that we know and trust because of the disciples' testimony, and that's the point of the Gospels. John ends with, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Disciples' account of Jesus walking on water here is recorded so that we may believe and trust him, have life in his name, and let him into our boat. Which is the genius of this story, because we have even more reason than the disciples not to be afraid in this life, because we know that Jesus gives us life by saving us, which this passage more than hints at, because we then see that Jesus is the prophet like Moses. Even the crowds pick up on this. 
after he miraculously feeds the 5,000, saying that surely this is the prophet who has come to this world. Uh, and what they're referring to is something that Moses said, which was, The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words into his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. And you could forgive the uh, people for thinking this, given the parallels they were seeing. Through Moses, God gave miraculous bread to his people who are hungry in the desert. And they see Jesus doing just that. They don't even see the full story because next we see Jesus, like Moses, miraculously passing through a body of water. And that includes the initial miracle that we all know of Jesus walking on top of it. Uh, but there's also another miracle that kind of gets glossed over, which is it's more than likely that once Jesus gets into the boat, it teleports to their location they were going to. Uh, it says there, immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading, and that immediately word is consistent in the other accounts. So miraculously, Jesus gets his people across a body of water, sounding rather Moses-y, with the obvious parallel being the Red Sea. The difference, however, is where Moses is saving God's people from worldly enemies, Jesus saves God's people from the greater enemies of sin. Unlike Moses, Jesus can get people into the real promised land of eternal life because he died for the sins of God's people, disarmed the devil of his power to, to accuse and condemn, and rose from the dead never to die again, promising the same for us who trust in him, which means we don't need to fear death. There's a silly fact uh, that apparently at a funeral, nine out of ten people would rather be the person giving a eulogy than the one in the coffin. I've said that the wrong way. Nine out of ten people would rather be the one in the coffin than the one giving a eulogy. And I feel without any substantiation or research, uh, I'm going to go ahead and call that fake news uh, because that would mean that 90% of people fear public speaking more than they fear death. And if we're talking about fear, and fear being a natural response to the unknown, death is one of the biggest unknowns out there. Death is the CEO of all the other fears. Every irrational, all-rational fear we have, bar God, is a result of the broken nature of the world that we live in. Fear, just like death, is the result of sin. See, at their core, all physical fears stem from death. Most people, myself included, would claim not to be afraid of heights, just afraid of falling off them and getting hurt. Uh, another great example is, as Australians who live in the country with the highest number of animals who could kill us should we upset them, it is a sign of a healthy, rational fear of death for us to second glance every spider that we see. Or so I tell myself every time I cry at the sight of a daddy longlegs. See, when we fear something here on Earth, whether it's in the deep ocean or deep space, we fear it rationally or irrationally because it can kill us and we fear death. Which makes sense, because we should fear death if we pass from this life unforgiven, where God's eternal judgment awaits us. But with Jesus and his very Moses-like salvation, God's judgment has already fallen on him on the cross, which means we will not meet an angry God, but meet our Heavenly Father. So we don't need to be afraid of death, and if for whatever reason that's still a fear you have, if you fear how God will face you when you die, in Jesus, you can be assured that he will safely bring you through to the other side. 
because Jesus is the prophet like Moses, the Messiah, who saves us from the fear of death by defeating sin. Even more than that, Jesus is God with us. John loves to hint at this a lot. Even from the start, we're told that Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So with all these constant hints at his true nature, it's no surprise that when revealing or responding to the disciples' fear, Jesus is perhaps uh, revealing more than the disciples would have picked up at this time. See, there he says, it is I. Now, I don't actually know Greek, but in preparing for this talk, some very smart people uh, taught me that what Jesus said there is ego amy, and I'm getting the thumbs up for the pronunciation there. Ego amy, which is sure to evoke images of Exodus and God speaking to Moses. That word amy being the uh, name that God gives to Moses to say is the one who sent him to free his people. I am who I am. The great I am has sent you. So when we see Jesus using this specific phrase, even though it might just be a form of self-identification, there is more that's being said. Jesus isn't just telling them he's there, he's flagging that he's God. Profoundly, this is why the disciples don't need to fear, and this is why we don't need to fear. So as we learnt a few weeks ago, Jesus debated with the Jewish leaders on his authority to do works on the Sabbath, Uh, Jesus is more than another Moses figure who's come to do miracles and free God's people from the ruler at the time. Not only is Jesus more than a man and more than the prophet, he is God in the flesh. His actions, the miracles that he's doing, provide testimony to that. In doing miracles, Jesus shows everyone who saw them and everyone who reads about them that he has authority over this world. That he's not just a human saviour, but God himself the creator and sustainer of all things. So by believing in Jesus, by willingly letting him into your boat, you've got God with you. So like what Moses would say to the Israelites way back, the New Testament says to us in Jesus, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. Now in this life, And in the next, with Jesus in your boat, God is with us and will never leave us. There is nothing and no one who can take us away from him. So we don't need to be afraid for whatever might come, because we can be strong and courageous. So as a summary of so far, we've seen, thanks to the disciples' testimony, that Jesus is in the flesh. We know him to be more than the great prophet like Moses, because he's God himself with us, come to save his people from death and bring us into eternal life. A life that starts now, in this world, full of fear. So in light of this, how should we respond when we're afraid? Because even though in Jesus we have no reason to be afraid, we still live in a broken world and we're still going to feel fear. That's not unexpected. Even though it may not exist in a physical sense, in day-to-day life, Fear still expresses itself in anxiety, in worry, insecurity, stress, pain. As a result of COVID last year, the CDC implemented an entirely new set of resources to respond to uh, over-increased levels of stress because of the pandemic. They reported that there was an increased level of self-medication. 
Now, in their case, they're referring specifically to the uses of substances, uh, but in a generally relatable sense, I'm sure that we'd all know in our hearts when we've self-prescribed a way to manage fear. So whether it's other people or idols or burying ourselves in work or any variety of guilty pleasures where there's a real sense of guilt behind them, there's an unlimited number of ways that we can distract ourselves from fear in this world. But they can't last. And ultimately, they'll let us down if we're depending on them for salvation more than we're depending on God. To do so is to just fall prey and be a slave to fear. But with Jesus, we don't need to be slaves to fear because he is our saviour and God and the eternal fear smasher. So let's keep working at keeping our eyes fixed on him. When confronting our fear, let's look to the word, the written word, the word in the flesh. Recall the good things of God to us in Jesus and let his truths comfort you. Maybe those moments when we're afraid are precisely the opportunity we should use to remind ourselves of why we don't need to be afraid. Use those moments to recall the truths of the gospel. and Do this however works best for you. Put them on a sticky note, a fridge magnet, a coffee mug. Use it as the phone on, use it as the wallpaper on your phone. Find some way to remember them. For me, maybe there's a song that helps me remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Whoa. I like Colin. Commit to memory bits of the Bible. There's a few favourites of mine on the board there. Last year, When I changed my career and my degree, uh, I thought there was a lot of people I'd be upsetting uh, and possibly disappointing. And I spent lots of time worrying how they thought of me. And at those moments, when I was fretting over what other people thought of me, how much better would I have been if I'd just remembered or had known by heart Psalm 56.4, In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? In those times of worry and pain and stress, call the truths of God to mind. Let them speak to your heart. I'm going to leave them up on the board if anyone wants to tattoo them into your brain. As I finish up, I thought maybe given how I said before, it might be good to have a song to remember the good things of Jesus in and how maybe even on top of that, To be moved by God is good. One of the things that struck me in preparing for this talk was how in the past I've actually been afraid to glorify God in song. I can recall a lot of times when I'd be in a room filled with other Christian brothers and sisters who are all singing praise to our God and for a variety of reasons, rather than enjoy the absence of fear, Instead, in that moment, I worried. I worried that they were faking it, or worried that I'd be faking it. And I wonder who else might have found themselves in a similar situation. Afraid to sing heartily of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Or, more generally, just afraid to admit it. To tell people that we know, to make it obvious that we're in Jesus' boat 
See, why be afraid to trust wholeheartedly in the cross and show it in our lives? In those moments of earthly fear, where the fear is making yourself vulnerable to show someone else Jesus' love, like forgiving someone who's deeply hurt you, or telling the truth when you know it'll get you in trouble, or being prepared to have a hard chat with someone you know has done the wrong thing. See, these things might be scary to do, but if we're doing it for God and with him rather than by our own strength, there is nothing to be afraid of. We can trust God has our back in Jesus. Now, Jesus has done a lot for us. And on top of everything else, another thing Jesus has done is brought us all together in the church. And he calls us to sing. And it's terrible that just days ago, after I'd written this sermon, the restrictions all changed. Because I was going to encourage everybody to belt it out today. We can't. And that sucks. And it sounds like I'm not the only one crying. But when this is over, and the next time we can do so together, let's rock out. So I'm going to pray now. After I finish, the band is going to do just that. And though we can't join them vocally, I encourage everyone to try their best not to fear being moved by what Jesus has done for them. So let's pray. Dear God, what can mere mortals do to us? What can anything in this life do to us if we are you? God, help us to be courageous in the face of fear. Help us to know that there is nothing to be afraid of. God, help us that in those moments of fear and of suffering, we'll be able to know that in the face of anything that happens on this earth, nothing is going to separate us from you. God, we thank you for your son, for dying on the cross. We thank you how that is the antidote to all of our fear. Amen.